0: Okay, it's time for our sermon this morning, and if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ruth, chapter 1, and we'll read from verses 14 to 17 this morning. It's Ruth, chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, and we'll uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us through His Word today. Um, I understand that recently the women uh, in our church uh, did a, a study on Ruth and Naomi, um, and um, I heard that they were blessed because of it, today i will be looking at uh, just one aspect of that uh, relationship and what it might mean from a spiritual point of view. So we'll be looking at Ruth chapter one, verse 14 to 17, as we look at um, the relationship between Ruth, Naomi, and uh, Orpah as uh, maybe a picture of salvation. Let's read, read with me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death, part thee and me. Let's uh, bring these things to the Lord, and let's commit this time to him. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to learn from your Holy Spirit. We ask that through your word, that he would teach us your ways. And we pray that our hearts would be solely given to you now, that our minds would be attentive, Lord, and, uh, and open to your understanding and wisdom. And we pray for the grace that we need to not only learn and understand what you have for us, but Lord, that we might use those things to glorify your name as we do the works that you have called for us to do. We thank you once again for this opportunity, for your word, and for the fellowship that we have with you and one with another. And we ask for your blessing upon us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, Italians have, for those of you who have much experience with Italians, with people with Italian background, have a tradition of kissing in our culture and much physical contact. To greet someone with a kiss is commonplace among family and close friends. And it doesn't matter about the sex necessarily. I remember kissing some of my aunties when I was a little boy and feeling those whiskers uh, on my cheek. Some of them had bigger whiskers than my uncles, but it's okay because you get used to that growing up, turns you into a man. Men often exchange kisses as well, on the cheek that is. Normally the greeting includes only one kiss for those you see regularly, But if there was someone you respected greatly or someone you hadn't seen for a long time or if it was a special occasion, you'd you'd get two kisses, one on each cheek uh, is required. Sometimes to get a kiss from an Italian man might be bad news if maybe they belong to the mafia, but that's okay, we'll put that aside for the moment. I understand from my experience with Lebanese that two kisses aren't enough sometimes and sometimes they want three. So that's okay, that's their culture. Kissing can be a sign of saying hello, showing affection in some cultures, in fact, a number of cultures. Um, I've heard it said in the Bible that where something's mentioned once, um, you know, it's good to do and follow the command. But if it's mentioned more than once, it's quite important. If I told you there are more than five places in the Bible that tell us to kiss each other, um, you might be surprised. Romans 16, 16 says, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. In 1 Corinthians 16 20 it says all the brethren greet you, greet ye one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Thessalonians 5:26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And 1 Peter 5.14 says, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity, of love. Peace be with you. All that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, in the, in the Jewish culture and in the Greek culture in those days, and it's been passed down uh, pretty much from generation to generation, it's come through to today. Um, there, was a, there was a tradition or a custom of kissing each other um, as a sign of respect, it was a sign of saying hello. Um, sometimes people hug each other as a sign of saying hello bit hard during these days. Uh, The fact that we're not even together makes it a bit hard to to greet each other with a holy kiss nor uh, with a a hug or even a handshake these days. And uh, I suspect that when we return to church or when they open those doors again, um, I suspect we'll be social distancing. So it's a bit hard to give each other a handshake, a hug or a kiss when you're 1.5 metres apart and with a mask as well. So we'll see about that. But while kisses, on the one hand, can be sweet when you're saying hello to someone that you love, maybe a relative or a friend, or kisses can also be bitter when you have to say goodbye. An example of that is when the Apostle Paul called the elders um, uh, to him from Ephesus to Miletus and told them about his journey to Jerusalem, that he they may never see him again. And he gave them a warning at the same time as he gave them an encouragement about the task ahead that they had for the church at Ephesus. You see, he called all the elders to him and my leaders to to give them this news, and then he said and warned them that, you know, after he leaves, there's going to be some difficult times ahead, Um, and that they had as the pastors of all the various churches throughout all of Ephesus, because Ephesus was a decent-sized city in those days, Um, But they had the important job of shepherding the flock. But turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 31. And we'll read to verse 38. And I would just like to to go through that um, that just for a moment because I want to show you, I'd like to show you that saying goodbye with a kiss can be a heartbreaking thing as well. Acts chapter 20, verse 31 says, Therefore, he says to these uh, elders from Ephesus, Therefore, watch. And remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye you yourselves know that, that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which which he spake, that they should see his face no more and they accompanied him, accompanied him unto the ship. Um, listen to the sadness that these elders, who had been under the ministry of the Apostle Paul for quite some time, had experienced when he told them, oh, you're not going to see me any longer. And I love that expression, that they fell on his neck and kissed him. Um, it's quite a, uh, quite a vivid image of the... The love that they had for each other. Yes, kisses can be uh, nice because you get to say hello with them. Some kisses can be bitter when those kisses are saying goodbye, sometimes for the last time, sometimes when you don't want to say goodbye, and you don't have a choice. There is a a famous or infamous kiss in the, in scripture, probably the most uh, infamous kiss in scripture. Which is the kiss that Judas used to betray our Lord and identify him to the guards? In that case, in that case, he did have a choice. Unlike the elders at uh, at Ephesus, he had the choice, and he chose to use a sign of affection for a betrayal. That kiss also um, marked a goodbye as well. It was Judas saying essentially goodbye to the Lord's way. And choosing to go the world's way. Regardless of Judas's intention, and some say that he did that. He he actually uh, kissed Jesus and betrayed him in order to force Jesus' hand, because he believed that Jesus had the power to overthrow the Romans and the corrupt Jewish leaders. And he thought if he if he if he forced Jesus' hand, then he would maybe over overtake them, and that he was the guy who had to instigate the whole thing. But either way, the result was a betrayal of a friendship. The result was a betrayal and a kiss was used to signify that betrayal. And Jesus tells us in uh, John chapter 13, verse 18, he says when he was talking to his disciples and he says to them that um, that one will betray him. He tells them in uh, verse 18 of John chapter 13, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath, li- has, hath lifted up his heel against me. And he was speaking in that reference, which comes from the Psalms, was speaking specifically about Judas, who that scripture actually talks about being a friend. My friend lifted up his heel against me. But in our scripture today, in our passage today, both Ruth and, and, um, uh, and Orpah, had an affection for their mother-in-law um, and had chosen to follow her back to the land of Judah. Naomi um, had, had left Israel many years before to, to come to Moab uh, when there was a drought. Her husband had made the decision to move and unfortunately that decision was quite a difficult one. But during their time in Moab, Uh, Naomi's two sons married two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. As it happened, all three of them lost their husbands. Naomi, Ruth and Orpah all found themselves now widows, without husbands. And so it tells us in Ruth chapter 1 verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So Naomi, it's not easy being a widow in those days, whether you were in, whether you were, uh, in, uh, in Moab or whether you were anywhere in the world. To be a widow was not necessarily a very easy thing. And that's why we find in the scripture that the church is called to support widows and orphans because sometimes they had no, not the ability to be able to provide for their own needs. So Naomi had heard that the Lord had been gracious to his people in Israel by providing them rain and crops and all the food they needed to eat. And being widows, Naomi thought, well, look, I'm I'm an Israelite. My people will accept me back and they will look after me. She probably had a belief that her people would would care more for her than the Moabite people would. So now Naomi decided it was time to return home to her own people. But Naomi both told Ruth and uh, Orpah that there were going to be trials that awaited them if they followed her back. Um, and that following her wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. And said to them both, you're free to go back to your own country to a life of maybe uh, easier for you because they were essentially going to a foreign country. And Naomi was going back to her own people. She understood all their customs. She understood their ways. She believed in uh, in, in the God of Israel. So it was probably a lot easier for Naomi to fit in again and to be accepted by her own family or at least distant family over there. But maybe for, um, maybe for Ruth and Orpah, things may have been a little bit different. Um, maybe uh, Naomi was thinking that, you know, uh, Ruth and, uh, and Orpah may find it a little bit more difficult being the women from uh, Moab who weren't generally seen or trusted. Uh, in uh, In Israel in those days, so Naomi warned her daughters-in-law not just once but twice because she could not guarantee them even a future with her. The easier thing for them to do was to go back to their own people and their own homes. there would be less risk that way. They would not have to endure a possibly dangerous journey as well. Imagine three women traveling alone from one country to another. They, cert- they weren't certainly on horseback then there was the risk of the, these two Moabite women being rejected by the people of Israel. While well, both of them committed to going with Naomi, Orpah decided that she would go back to her own people, to her own idolatrous friends, and left Naomi with a kiss. Only one truly committed to following Naomi and stayed with her, The other only sort of half committed, but when it came time to the crunch, she said, nah, I'm not going to go. Only one gave her heart fully to Naomi, the other was still holding on to Moab. And just to make it clear, Moab had had some pretty detestable practices in those days. Ruth gave herself wholly, not only to Naomi, but to the God of Naomi, her mother-in-law. And the scripture says that she clave unto her. In Ruth 1.14, it says, and they lifted up their voice and wept again. So there was was a lot of uh, uh, tears associated with this particular uh, uh, decision that was going on. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So we have Orpah kissing essentially Naomi goodbye and crying about it but Ruth cleaving unto her. Even though there were tears, those tears tears were the result of a choice or choices that had been made. And from Orpah's point of view, that kiss goodbye was because of a choice that she made to stay. Now, the definition of the word cleave in the Bible means to cling to, to join together, to chase, to adhere to, or to stick together. This definition also applies to the desire that that Ruth had to hold on to Naomi and not let her go. She didn't want Naomi out of her life anymore. She wanted to be with Naomi, in fact, unto death. The same word, the same Hebrew word is used in a common passage that we use when we speak about marriage in the Bible. I'll read from you Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 to 6. It says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? that which uh, made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So that word cleave is exactly the same Jewish word that's used with respect to the way a man and a woman cleave to each other, they hold on to each other, they don't let each other go. They don't—they're not just with each other for you know for a small time and say, "All right, when things get a little bit rougher, I'm out of here." No, they're meant to cleave one to another on a, with a permanent uh, on a permanent basis. Why did Ruth cleave to Naomi? Couldn't she have just gone back with Orpah to her own people? Well, she could have. She had the freedom to be able to do it, obviously. She was warned of the risks of actually going with Naomi. But the reasons that she gives are two. One, Naomi loves Ruth. There's an obvious love between those two. She loved her more than her own people. So she, she clave unto her. It is also because Ruth chose to believe in the God of Naomi. Naomi. And had rejected the gods of her own people. Naomi gave her a choice to return and to go back to those gods and to stay with those gods. But she was convinced that Jehovah was the true God. So she claved not only to Naomi, but to the God of Israel as well. And because of this, Ruth was convinced that with Naomi leaving, that she only had one choice to make, and that was to follow her. She wanted Naomi. She wanted to be with Naomi, but she wanted to be with the God of Israel. In Naomi, Ruth saw her only door to salvation. It was either Naomi or her old world. It was only Naomi who knew the way back to the people of God and the worship of God and the fellowship that came with it. When Ruth chose to join herself to Naomi, And God, it also meant that she joined herself to Naomi's people. She had decided to lose her identity as a Moabitess and chose to identify herself with Naomi and Israel. In Naomi, Ruth saw the only door and path to being with God's people and his worship as well. In Naomi, Ruth saw the avenue to truth because it was with Naomi's people. That preserved the truth given to them by God. In Naomi, Ruth saw life, a chance for a new life, a chance for a real hope, whereas the old life was more like death. I mean, she had lost her husband and she felt that her life was really not not hopeful, that there was only this this life with the gods that are associated with, with the Moab only will really he epitomize death. Now, just to be to add some information for you, Kemosh was the national god of Moab. In fact, all the gods in those era, in those countries in those days had their national gods. And this god Kemosh was honored with cruel and perverse practices, including child sacrifices, very similar to the god Moloch. And Jehovah, uh the one true God, detested the worship of these gods, of Moab. Uh, and unfortunately, even King Solomon fell into idolatry because of them. We find in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6, it says there, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6, it says, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord. So he didn't, he wasn't cleaving to God. He didn't go fully up, Lord, as did David, his father. <coughs> Excuse me. But it tells us in First Kings 11, verse 7, Then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. So unfortunately, Solomon didn't show the same cleaving that David did. Naomi, um, who was heading back to Israel, had a strong relationship with Ruth and Ruth clave to her. But in accepting the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Ruth chose to reject the detestable gods of Moab, to reject the customs and traditions of her own people, which involved the worship of these deities. And she cleaved to Naomi and she cleaved to God. Ruth made a choice to choose the hard road, that road that caused her to leave her own customs and traditions and to walk a long way to get to the people that uh, that her mother-in-law uh, came from Orpah chose to return to the detestable ways of Moab she had obviously not a problem with its customs nor with its gods and she chose to stay with what she was already accustomed to and thus was never truly a daughter of Israel the story of Ruth and Orpah is the story of two people, two types of people in this world. One who has genuinely decided to follow Jesus and to cleave to him, to turn their backs on a world that they realize is filled with sin and has no hope. While the other plays the part they get to a certain point, and they play the part of a believer, and they say, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do that too. But who end up kissing Jesus goodbye and leaving him when they realize that the road ahead may not be as easy as what they thought. It reminds me of the, the passage or the parable that Jesus gives about the sower and the seed. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, he says, But he that received the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, so he endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended and he leaves. This is the story, if you notice a pattern in the word of God, this is the story also of Cain and Abel. Those two were two very different types of people. One was devoted and and cleaved to God. The other one didn't, wanted to do it his own way. This is the story of Jacob and Esau. This is the story of Isaac and Ishmael. This is the story of Abraham and Lot, David and Saul. And the list goes on. Many many of the parables of our Lord focus on the same thought, comparing side by side the genuine with the imitation, the real with the fake, the true follower of the Lord with those who are in sheep's clothing. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. You know, it's one thing to follow the Lord when all is easy and there is no opposition, but it's another thing to follow him when things don't go easily and you have trials and you suffer tribulation or you suffer persecution. There are many people who say that they love Jesus and follow him, but when the trial and persecution come, they're quickly, they're quick to say goodbye and revert back to their old ways when temptations come they are all too fleet of foot to choose the world and the flesh over their Savior when a rich young man came to Jesus and asked for asked the probably the most important question that he would ever ask in his life in Matthew chapter 19 verse 16 he said good master what good thing shall I do that I may have that, that I may have eternal life?" And Jesus responded that for him, he needed to be perfect. And he needed to, in verse 21, go and sell that thou hast, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor. Thou shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, it wasn't really in the selling of the things that he was, that he was going to find life. It was in the turning his back on the world and following Jesus would give him life. And this man chose not to. He couldn't let go of the world and follow Jesus. The same thing happened with Orpah. He was in the same situation as Ruth and Orpah. Do I follow or do I return to the world? Is the world Does the world have such a hold on me that I can't really commit? In the young man's case, he did as Orpah did. And he left Jesus for the world. He was close to the kingdom, just as Orba was. She was crying there with her mother in law. She could have, she was one step away from beginning her journey. Like Orba, who has Ruth right in front of her, and just has to say, Yes, this man had Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, right in front of him. All he had to do was say, Yes and his life would never have been the same again. But he chose to say goodbye. That decision didn't necessarily seal his fate, but simply revealed what the condition of his heart actually was like. His heart cleaved too much to the world to cleave to Jesus. You can't hold on to both things at the same time. He couldn't let go of one and hold on to the other. And that's the message of Ruth and Orpah, that you have to let go of the old dead ways, or the world, and hold on to Jesus. You can't be holding on to both at the same time. You know, but it's during these moments of decision, these difficult moments, that the condition of our heart is really revealed. Does it kiss goodbye as Lord did even though you may not even want to kiss goodbye but it reveals which you love more or does it cleave to the Lord and Savior and say no 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 he's the most important now, Luke uh, the Lord tells us in Luke chapter 9 verse 23 and 24 he says to them if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it." Jesus is speaking about exactly the same thing. Either you deny yourself, deny the world, and you begin your journey with Jesus, which may mean taking a cross up each and every day, But for those who say, "Ah, no, I'm going to stick with what I've got, you will find that you will lose your life rather than gain it. But Jesus says, whoever loses their life for his sake, the same will save it. You know, a kiss can be a cheap form of affection. It can be over in a moment. But to cleave requires effort. To cleave requires conviction, humility, persistence. There was a, a Russian pastor who was asked to compare the church in communist Russia. So we're speaking of uh, a number of years ago when the Russians were in charge of, uh, of um, sorry, when the communists were, uh, were in charge of Russia. And I, I assume that maybe a similar uh, thing occurs in uh, communist China today. Um this Russian pastor was asked to compare the church in Russia with the church in the West, for example, in America, in Europe, in Australia. And he made an important observation. He said in Russia, Christians are tested by hardship. They're tested by the persecution. They're tested, that faith is really tested in a fire. But in America, he said you are tested by your freedom. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? The testing of freedom, according to him, can actually be much harder. Nobody pressures you about your religion. You encounter little resistance, such as genuine persecution. So many Christians try to convince themselves that they even are being persecuted because it makes them feel more genuine. But freedom is a test of a person's real heart just as much as any communist persecution. The greatest temptation for us living in such freedom and relative ease and wealth is that we relax. We lose a focus on our saviour. We have too many things around us to grab our attention, to keep us drawn to. We become too accustomed to the rudimentary principles of this world. And all the rabbits that people go chasing after, we go chasing after them as well. Forgetting the discernment that comes from the word of God and the leading of God's Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, don't we understand that we are being tested as much by our freedom in Australia as by the most oppressive Islamic countries in the world? We often thank the Lord for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. We enjoy the freedom to follow Christ and we often pray that, that we would continue to have his freedom. But that freedom can also become a pillow for our head. Music to lull us to sleep. A trap for those who may have made an empty profession. With no fire to test the validity, the validity or the reality of their faith or whether they are really genuine or not. You see, in the West, in Australia today, it's easy to play the Christian. It's easy to go to church. It's easy to, to, to do a lot of things being Christian. No one's going to really say anything um, uh, against you. No one's going to come knocking on your door and drag you away. It's very easy. Indeed. There are many immigrants, I understand, it's been said, that when they come to either Australia or Europe or America, they, they, they turn to Christianity, not because they necessarily believe that Jesus is the saviour and they are born again, but they believe that if they become Christians, that they'll have a better quality of life, that they'll be accepted more by the people in those countries. Now, Orpah kissed Ruth goodbye and went back to Moab. But I fear that many Christians have said that they will follow Jesus, but like Orpah, have really, are really still in Moab. They haven't actually left yet. And they're preparing themselves to leave, but they've never taken the first step. Is there anyone who's listening to this sermon who may think that they haven't left Moab yet? Who can say where your heart really resides other than you? God knows your heart, but no one else can see your heart other than you. But the question is, should the heat of persecution and hardship begin to burn, will there be any metal to show at the end of it? How is it with us? Have we, like Ruth, understood the cost of following Jesus? Have we counted that cost? Have we bound ourselves to Jesus are we cleaving to him or are we trying to hold both the world and Jesus at the same time? I understand that out of the statistics of people that say they are or they become Christians or say that they do an altar call or or uh, or follow through with a, a prayer of salvation, that out of a hundred that profess to be born again and follow Jesus, 95 show no fruit, no signs of repentance, no fruits that are meet or worthy of repentance. You know, Ruth was willing to risk her life, her reputation, her future. She put her future in the hands of Naomi because she loved her and trusted her to go to a land that she had never been to before. Now, let me ask you, Have you really trusted Jesus to take you to that land that you've never seen before? Do you really? Have you really put your trust in him, the author and the finisher of our faith? The Bible says and calls him the captain of our faith. He is our king, the Holy One of Israel. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do you really love him? Do you love him as much As Ruth loved Naomi and said, your God will be my God. And I'm turning my back on all my old gods. Have you really chosen to follow Jesus in your life? That is the most critical question you could ever ask yourself. Have you made that decision? And do you know if you actually have made the decision? Is there anything to prove it? If someone were to ask you, show me, prove to me that you're a Christian, what would you show them? Take some moments, please, in this coming week to confirm where your heart really is. What fruits have grown as a result of your relationship with Jesus? What fruits? have grown as a result of your walk with him and keep in mind the fruits that we're speaking about are not the same fruits that the world exhibits the world love their children the world can be faithful to a wife the world can do good deeds what makes you different to the best people of this world You know, the the riches of Moab and the riches of this world are no match for the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will, when we witness our Lord and our Saviour. Our conviction should be strong, our commitment solid, and our love for the Lord unwavering. We should cleave to him as a child cleaves to a parent when he or she is in danger You know, there was a, we, I gave a sermon about uh, Barnabas um, a little while ago. And it says that when, when they heard that, that people of Cyprus and Cyrene were coming to the Lord, that Greeks were coming to the Lord, they sent, they sent Barnabas there to examine what was going on, to, to verify the story. And it tells us in Acts chapter 11, verse 20 to 23. It says, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So this is in Antioch. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all. That with, listen to these words, Acts chapter 11, verse 23. What did Barnabas exhort these new believers to do? It says that when when he had seen the grace of God, the way that God was changing their lives and they, they were turning to him, he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. With purpose of heart, with purpose, direction and effort they would cleave unto the Lord. And that's my exhortation for you today. That with purpose of heart, you would cleave unto the Lord. Not with haphazard thoughts or a haphazard heart, cleaving one day here and one day there, trying to hold both at the same time. No, with a purpose, with a direction, with a choice to cleave on Jesus Christ With all of your mind, That's good advice from Barnabas, and I believe that's good advice for us. With all of our heart, we should cleave to our Savior. And this is the heart of the matter that separated Orpah and Ruth. The heart of the matter is the heart. The real question you need to ask today is, who owns my heart? For from the heart, the Bible says, the mouth speaks, choices are made. And what you cleave to is a result of who owns your heart. That's why Proverbs teaches us in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Remember, Jesus clearly teaches, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Is it wrong to love your mother and father? Of course not. Is it wrong to love your son or daughter? Of course not. But who owns your heart today? There is only one who can own it. There is only one who deserves, who needs to have the preeminence in that heart. That's a question. The question of who owns your heart is a question that only you can answer for yourself. You know, Orpah is heard of no more in Scripture. She never comes up one more time after she kisses Naomi goodbye and says goodbye to Ruth as well. But Ruth's name is recorded down in history. It's recorded in God's word because she clave to Naomi and she clave to the God of Israel. And she was even afforded the honor of being in the noble line of from which would come the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Christ. Imagine that. At that crossroads in her life, the choice that she made to cleave to Naomi meant that this Moabite,s an outcast from Israel, is recorded in all of eternity as being in the earthly line of Jesus Christ what a decision, and what a difference. And that's what we need to understand, that the choices that we make, either to cleave or to kiss goodbye, will result in the greatest difference. I'm going to close with one scripture passage for you today. There are two other women mentioned in scripture, two women whose hearts cleaved to the Lord. And these openly show that they believed and loved him, that he had their hearts. If you have your Bibles turned with me, if you want to Matthew chapter 28, verse five, and I want to read small passage of scripture with you just to close this service off. And these two women who were named, interestingly enough, with the same name, believed in Jesus and cleaved to him. Matthew 28, verse 5 says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. You will know where this is at. Verse 6, He is not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell all disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. They shall see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. I believe that Mary Magdalene, And the other Mary in this passage did exactly what most of us would do if we saw Jesus in front of us today. We would worship him, of course. But the thing I want you to notice here is they held him by the feet. And there's only one way to to hold someone by the feet. And that's if you have fallen at his feet. There is no more vivid picture than I can give you today than these two women and what they did to cleave to Jesus. Does Jesus own your heart today? If he really does, then cleave to him with all of your might because he is the most important thing in all of life and share it with everyone else that you know. If you're not sure today, then today should be the day that you make sure. Today should be the day when you say goodbye to the world and say, I'm choosing Jesus as my saviour. I choose to be with him. Regardless of what tomorrow may bring, you know what? He knows what's already there. And I choose to trust my heart, my soul, and everything I am to him that's my prayer for you today that's the sermon for you today god bless you all i hope you have an awesome week remember put jesus first in everything god bless you